the title of the series is, uh, the next four weeks is called The Original Songs of Christmas. I don't know if there's anybody else uh, that's like me here in the group that absolutely loves Christmas songs. Do you guys love to, to hear? Uh, anybody found one of those radio stations that has them playing 24 hours a, a day? That's pretty, uh, pretty uh, big deal. I think 103.5 has that if you're looking for that on your dial. But one of the joys of Christmas is taking time to celebrate all of the awesome Christmas music. And, and really the, the caution, though, that I've realized in that is you have to be careful that it doesn't just become background noise, right? You have to be careful that it doesn't just become background noise. I was at uh, Six Flags with our kids on the uh, Thanksgiving week, uh, the uh, poor man's Disney, and uh, we were... We were there and uh, just walking around, and one of the things that I, I noticed is they had all of these wonderful, biblically-based Christmas tunes going on on the loudspeakers behind people. People are just kind of doing their thing as people, the, the songs are rejoicing in the, the coming of the Savior and the one that will rescue man from his sin. And I was just like, is, is nobody hearing this? Is no one actually engaging in what's being sung and that's the, the danger of Christmas is that we can get so caught up in all the fun, the glitz, the glam, and the lights, and all of that, and miss out on the worship opportunity that Christmas is. The worship opportunity that Christmas is. And so my hope is for us to reclaim the passion that Christmas music originated with all the way back in the book of Luke. Did you know that the book of Luke has four different Christmas songs in it, the original songs of Christmas? We're going to spend the next four weeks looking at, at these four different songs. They might be uh, old hat to you. They might be new. But either way, my prayer and my hope is that we would grow in worshipers as we reflect back on some of the original Christmas songs. Let me pray as we dive in. God, thank you so much for this chance to be in your house and such a, a, a beautiful morning just to celebrate you and already singing of the fact that you chose to come and be amongst us, Emmanuel. We praise you for that. We ask that you'd speak to us this morning through this text in Luke and that some of these older Christmas songs would revive our passion for Christmas going into this season. That's my prayer and that's my hope that we'd grow in our worship as a church. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. All right, so... We're going to look at this text. If you wouldn't mind turning with me to Luke, we're in chapter 1, verses 46 through 56 this morning, and this is the first of the four Christmas songs recorded in the book of Luke, and it's written by none other than Mary herself, or I guess you would say spoken by Mary herself. Mary, uh, this isn't a new character in the Christmas story that I'm introducing you to necessarily, uh, per se, she's a, a, a small-town teenage girl uh, living in northern uh, uh, Israel during Roman occupation. Journey actually wrote a song about her, just a small-town girl living in a Roman world. Do you remember that? Okay, uh, sorry, bad joke. Okay, so she's en engaged, engaged to be married to a young carpenter guy. His name's Joseph. Real simple folks, most likely a, a young teenage girl, so engagement is an extended period of time. They're engaged. They have not partook yet in the things that are 
uh, fun in marriage. Uh, she's a virgin. Uh, so, she's, uh, so she's a virgin. She gets visited. You all know the story. She gets visited by an angel out of the blue, and this completely changed her world. The trajectory of her next, the remaining years of her life was changed by this visit of an angel. And you remember what the angel came to tell her, said, listen, you're going to give birth, but it's not going to be in a conventional way. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. What do you do with that information? I can't even fathom as a young teenager uh, getting that news that you're going to give birth. A lot going through her mind. One of the things that the angel said that we often don't talk about is he said, also, I want to tell you that your aunt, or we're not sure aunt exactly, just says relative, her, her elderly relative, Elizabeth, is also going to be pregnant at the same time. So you remember in the story, what does it say? Right after she gets this news, she went with haste to visit Elizabeth. Now you might not know this, but this trip to see Elizabeth was about a hundred mile distance. So imagine this, this young teenage girl going off on this adventure gave her plenty of time to think about the news that she just heard. Can you imagine? Anybody else have trouble turning off their brain at the end of a long day. I often will lay in bed just with thoughts swirling, thinking about things. Man, can you imagine for Mary what this would have looked like? This is not, we did not originate the whole stressful Christmas season. Like she was the first to engage in that. Thinking through probably a blend, what do you think? A blend of excitement and fear. A little bit of both. The excitement because one, you just were visited by an angel and told you're going to uh, give birth to the Savior of the world that had been prophesied for thousands of years you're like whoa that's pretty awesome but what do you think about the fear component of it what do you think would be some of the things she would be nervous about some of the things that might have caused her to be anxious and we could we could list just tons and tons of things that would have would have been unsettling how is her community going to respond is she going to forever be an outcast that people joke about and, and, and whisper as she's walking past is that is that her new existence how about trying to explain that to the person you're engaged to? I'm pregnant, and it's from God. Good luck with that conversation, right? So that, 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 she's got that to look forward to. She's got so many things racing through her mind. In fact, there would have been a little bit of a fear factor. In that day and age, the idea of being pregnant outside of marriage, in fact, Deuteronomy 22 says that that person should be stoned or executed. So a lot for her to think about. So she's anxious to process through this with somebody that could maybe understand. So she's willing to take this 100-mile trek to visit Elizabeth. She arrives, and we read about that just before these verses. She arrives, and Elizabeth confirms that she's also pregnant and confirms that she's been told that Mary's going to carry the Savior of the world. So two huge confirmations, and that leads us into our text this morning where she's just overwhelming. She finally, after hearing all this, absorbing this, after this 100-mile trek, she finally explodes, bursts into song. The very first Christmas carol. And I'd say we have a lot to learn from her words here. She teaches us a lot. First off, you notice that she's just sat, saturated 
with God's word. She knew God's word. It's, it, it's all the way from references to Hannah's prayer in the Old Testament to references to the Psalms, to the prophets. It's saturated with scripture. We could spend really our whole time looking at just those Old Testament connections. But what I'd rather do for the sake of our time together, because remember our goal is that we grow in our worship, is to look at more of her heart for worship. Because that's what I would say we can learn from her, that she can be a model for us to grow in our worship even going into this Christmas season. So the first thing I want to point out in the text, verse 46, is that our worship must start from within. Look at verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Catch some of those initial words, my soul in my spirit. In other words, this is something that she didn't have to induce, no pun intended. This is something that, that came out from inside of her, it burst through, but it was a natural response to what God had done in her life. And really, that's God's desire for each of us. That worship wouldn't be something that like, oh, here we go again. It should be something that we're so passionate and excited about what God has done in our life that we can't help but speak about it. I don't know if you've had something that's happened in your life that you're just so, it, it's like boiling up. You're so anxious to talk to other people about it. I'm in a, in a men's discipleship group with a couple guys, and uh, about a month back, uh, one of the guys, his name's Marty Brown, comes to us, and he says, listen, he's like, at the very end of our group, and you could tell it was some kind of a big news. He says, well, you know, we have, have three kids, and, and we were we were for sure done with kids. In fact, had uh, some uh, proactive steps coming up that we're going to keep that from continuing. And, uh, and, he, and he says, you know what? I, I, we, but we found out a couple weeks ago, my, my, not, I guess it was more time than that, that my wife is pregnant again. And he was like, he's like, he says, and not only, here's a, here's a picture of them. Not only is she pregnant again, She's expecting twins. And so all of a sudden, going from a family of, of three to a family of five is a pretty, isn't that a fantastic picture? L love that. And I think that that picture kind of captures uh, Marty's uh, response to the whole thing. A, a little bit of panic and a lot of excitement. A little bit of panic and a lot of excitement. Marty, is that fair? You can congratulate them afterwards. Uh, and so, but excited for both of them, you see, that wasn't hard for them to talk about. That wasn't hard for him to, to bring up. He was, even though he wanted to play off the tough guy that he wasn't excited, I could tell him, man, he's super, it's a little boy and a girl they're expecting, pretty cool stuff. And, uh, and, and so, but I was thinking about that as we worship God, isn't that what it was intended to be? Something that we're so excited about, man, we're just, we're just bursting for, forth with worship. And that's what, what we see with, with Mary right out of the gates. She uses other big words for a teenager, magnifies and rejoices, showing the intensity in which she worshiped, right? Magnifies. The, 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 just, in fact, that's where they, they actually named this, this song in Christendom. Uh, it's called the Magna, Magnificant is uh, one of the traditional names for it, coming from that word that she used. Both of those, though, indicators of passion. I wonder for us how we would describe our passion meter 
as we're going into this Christmas season as it relates to worship. How are we doing with that? Do we say like, yes, we, we're passionate, or are we a little bit more of what we often slip into, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, really? Like, like really? Like, uh, what I would propose is that God wants a little bit more of that. He wants some heart behind it. He wants it to be something that's an overflow of what he's done for us. You see, we are all created, you might not realize this, but every single one of us is literally designed, created, shaped, formed to be a worshiper. Do you know that about yourself? You're literally, when God created you, he said, you know what I'm making, I'm molding, I'm, I'm designing, I'm designing a worshiper. But the problem is, when introduced to free will, we're on a planet with lots of misdirected worship. You guys see that? You see that in the world around us? Everywhere we look, there's people that have misdirected worship. Even things worshiping things that are good things. Family, experience, finances, things that can be awesome things is misdirected worship because we're designed to worship Almighty God. You see what I suggest is when we come out of that world where we're constantly bombarded with all of these appeals to worship things that we weren't designed to worship, and that leaves us a little bit numb, right? Don't you often, like, like if you're like me, show up on Sunday mornings and you're like, man, I'm just, I'm just kind of beat up from all of these appeals for my worship. Well, Mary found the, the secret, of what I would suggest, to a starting point for, for a healthy degree of passion. Look at the words that she says, and my spirit rejoice in God my Savior, and God my Savior. You see, when you use the word Savior, you have to recognize that you're someone that needs to be saved, right? When you worship Him for being Savior, that's, that culminates out of a heart that recognizes, wait a second, I'm lost. I'm hopeless. Without Him, I am completely gone, lost. I don't know if any of you have had an experience where you've really legitimately been lost. Anybody have a tendency to get lost, whether directions? Mom, you better get your hand up. Uh, uh, the, a, a, anybody else have that, that tendency in this room? There's got to be more than like two people. Uh, well, I had, I had a couple experiences when I was younger that were pretty terrifying. As a, as a young kid, I was about six or seven. My dad was a director at a Christian camp. And uh, one of the things that my friend at the time, his name was Sherm, which is kind of a funny name, actually short for Sherman, we'd go on these long, day-long adventures looking for two things, snakes and crayfish. That was like our, our one goal as six-year-olds of trying to find. And that would take us through these huge fields and down these streams and on all these huge adventures. I would remember one particular day, though, Sherm and I had made a few crazy turns and ha- weren't really paying attention to where we're at. Before we knew it, we started noticing the sun was going down, and we're like, wait a second, I have no idea where I'm at. I'm completely lost. So we did the thing that we're told to do is found a, a main road or just a road. It was a dirt road, if I remember correctly. And we found this road, and we found passing by a farmer in a pickup truck. I think that's what's recommended for kids to look for is strangers and pickups. Um, but we found this farmer in that, in that day and age that was a, a little bit more appropriate, and this guy is just like, oh yeah, 
you're just, you're like, you're like four blocks back this way, turn right, and you're there. And we're like, oh, well, thanks. We weren't as lost as we thought. But what, what I remember was that just desperation of, I can't solve this. I can't fix this. I need outside help. And when someone came to the rescue, you're just like, oh, thank you. And I have that picture of Mary, that being the starting point of why her heart was in the right place. There's this recognition of her desperate state moved her to the right attitude of worship. And I would suggest that that's not something we stumble upon. That's something that takes some intentionality going into worship. To remember, man, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. I'm so lost without you. How are we doing on that as we start here this morning? Next thing we'll notice in the remaining section is really she follows suit to really what I would suggest most worship is broken into these two categories. When you listen to or read worship lyrics, you can really put them into two categories. Either worshiping God for what he's done or worshiping God for who he is or what he's done, or who he is. And really, the remainder of the section is her doing exactly that, which is kind of neat to see that we're still following suit of that in our worship a couple thousand years later. But look, look at what she says here. It starts by looking at what he's done. Verse 48, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever." We'll explore that a little bit here. The first thing that you'll observe kind of in that section is it started, and it often starts with us, her worship started by thanking God for what He's done in her life. So many times that's the starting point we need as we're coming into worship is is taking time to legitimately reflect on what He's done in our life. Look what, he, look what she refers to. She refers to looking, looked on her or noticing her in her humble estate. What does that mean when she says in her humble estate? Basically, as a teenage girl in that day and age, as a, probably a 13 or 14-year-old girl, you were only a couple notches above livestock in that culture. Literally, they, that, that was somebody, you were, you were considered kind of the, the, the very bottom of the social and cultural ladder. And so she's recognizing that, whoa, God picked me. In fact, I was, I was reading this past week that, uh, that Jewish men were actually quoted as praying in their kind of repeated prayers, thank you, God, for not making me a woman. Whoa. Like, that's, that's kind of crazy. But what I love, what I love to see here is that our God sees things a little bit differently. Look how he introduced himself to the world through a teenage girl and a barren elderly woman. Like, that, 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 that was the way that he said, I'm going to enter in this way. Not in a castle, not in a, as, a, 
uh, in a kingdom, but literally through a peasant girl and an elderly barren woman. That should give hope for us, even just thinking of uh, that, that he's not looking for doing something through the great or the glamorous, even the weak and the humble. So he rec- she recognizes that uh, fully, and she also recognizes that at some point, she's going to be considered blessed. She's going to be considered blessed. Do you think that's happened? Think that's happened in our culture? Absolutely. We're still talking about her 2,000 years later. We're still celebrating her. Some people even get off track and worship her, which I'm not recommending. But what's, what, what's interesting, though, still, regardless, she is somebody that's considered blessed. But do you recognize what maturity that took to come to that conclusion? When looking at her circumstances, looking at what's ahead of her, the road that she's going to have to travel, you're like, I don't know as a teenager, that you'd see that as blessed, right? But what happened is she had a view greater than her current complicated circumstances, and that's what allowed her to worship. I'd suggest there's a lot for us to learn from that. Having a view greater than your current complicated circumstances allows you to genuinely worship. She wasn't she wasn't all caught up in the here and now. She saw the bigger picture. So many of us need that same adjustment in our circumstances. Say, you know what? I see the bigger picture. I see where things are headed. I see where things are going. I know I read the end of the story. It ends really well for those of us who are in Christ. Section just saturated in humility versus eight of the 11 lines of her song remind us that God offers salvation to the weak and the undeserving. If you think about that, really only the humble are able to genuinely worship. Why? Because the proud are so focused on things they deserve or haven't gotten because it's, it's, it's backwards. The humble are the ones that can genuinely worship, and that's what she represents here. She thanks God for what he's done and what he's going to do through her. Then she shows graduate level worship. Look at this line. It says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I say graduate level worship because anytime you can start moving your worship from thanking God for just the things he's done in your life to thanking God for what he's done in others' life, man, that opens a whole new kind of boundary of worship in our time instead of just focusing on oh but i didn't get this that i want i didn't get this when you start to expand your horizon say and thank you god for what you've done in their life thank you god for your faithfulness in this person's life and in her life and his life and and all of that she was achieving i would suggest graduate level worship look at what she says and says and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, recognizing that this isn't just a one-time deal. He's been faithful throughout. Now reflect even in your own family, in your own situation. Now some of us, I recognize, are like first-generation Christ followers, but many of us here can look back at your family tree and think of just, man, look how he's been faithful to my great-grandmother, to my my grandparents, to my parents, to, to my family, to my kids. To, you start to look across the landscape of God's faithfulness, it's pretty staggering. 
I was just jotting down, uh, just as I was going through this, just some names of my own family. You can do this maybe on your own exercise. It's faithfulness to Mike, to Irene, to Walter, to Ruth, to Alan, to Linda, to Kathleen, to Chris, to Scott, to Adrian, to Chase, to Alexa, to Sienna, to Parker, to Ellie, to Cassidy. You start, you start looking across the landscape, and that expands your worship. Thank you, God for your goodness, for your mercy for others. He says he has filled them, he has filled the hungry with good things. He's filled the hungry with good things. I was thinking about that. I'm still yet to meet an elderly person that's chased after the Lord with their whole life and gets done or kind of in the the end of their days. It says, you know what? That was a waste of time. Shouldn't have done that. That was a silly pursuit. Wish I would have chased after some more things from this world. Have you guys ever met that person? I, I'm guessing you haven't because I, I still haven't met that person. Why? Because the person that ju- does chase after him, the person that is hungry, how does God respond? He says, I fill them with good things. I fill them up. So in his faithfulness, and he, he points generation to generation. She even points all the way back that this wasn't just present generation. This was all the way back to Abraham, his mercy evident. That's what was moving her to worship. So praising him for what he has done for her and for others. And the third part that's maybe less obvious in there, not just for others, but to others, to others. It says he has shown strength with his arm. She was taking time to glorify God for his mercy, but also for his judgment. This is the less popular side of the, uh, of the coin. We often praise him for his mercy, but she's taking time to praise him for his faithfulness and bringing down the proud. It's, he, he describes as he has shown strength with his arm. I think this is one of those worship songs that, that maybe a, a guy would more appreciate. This is more a, a manly term. Any, any guys sometimes get a little bit tired of being described as the bride? You're like, can't we go with something else other than that? Like, I don't want to sing about my secret place and all this stuff that we sing about in worship songs. But this, this, is, this is a manly worship song. that He has shown strength with his arm. Shown strength with his arm. Celebrating what he's done to bring down. Look at the list. Bring down the proud, the mighty, and the rich. The proud, what does it say? The proud in the thought of their hearts. What justice have they seen? Proud in the thought of their hearts. The proud person says what in their heart? I don't need God. I'm sufficient. Yeah, I'm independent. I can do my own things. What I'm doing seems to be working. And so many people, that's the life that he lives. And what does he says? Man, they're, they're scattered. They're scattered. He moves on to the second one, describing what he's done for the mighty. What does it say that he's done for the mighty? brought down, brought down, like that description. I would say, really, if you think about the Old Testament, the Old Testament's really a a who's who of the mighty being brought down, right? Story after story, account after account, somebody that thought highly of themselves, raised to a position of authority. Think about Pharaoh, right? Think, of, think about Saul. Think about, how, how about Nebuchadnezzar? That's one of my, my personal favorites. Do you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar? He was there walking one day, talking and bragging about the, all of his exploits, the expanse of his kingdom. And it says, you can read it for yourself in Daniel 4, 
it says that very moment while he was still speaking about all of his accomplishments, he was literally brought down on all fours and started for the next seven years living like a cow eating grass. Like, what in the world? What in the world? Like, that's one of my personal favorites. Like, what in the world? Our God, what does he say? With his strong arm, he brings down the proud. He brings down the mighty. And look what is the third one that she worships. What does he say that happens to the rich? That happens to the rich. And I want to clarify that too. Anytime in Scripture we're talking about rich, you're talking about the the selfish and self-consumed, self-absorbed rich. So he's pointing out that 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 person is left empty-handed. Left empty-handed. And isn't that the curse of the selfish rich? Never, ever satisfied. Doesn't matter how much they go, they acquire, they're always, there's just this cycle, and you see it from, the, you observe it in our culture, from people we know, there's, there's never, ever seems to be enough, right? There's the, the, the selfish, the selfish rich are always left feeling empty-handed. And it seems like I should be so content. It seems like I should be happy, but there's, there's nothing here. I'm left empty. That's the, the, the curse of the selfish wish that God brings upon them. He points, she points to all of these things as reasons to celebrate. Celebrating what he's done for her, what he's done for others, but also celebrating what he's done to others. Showing a display of his power. All three are signs of self-reliance. God has torn down the proud, powerful, and wealthy to give what? Mercy to the humble. So that's the first side, and we often, our own worship is kind of on this angle, and I just want to uh, briefly close with the other side. So first side, worshiping God for what he's done for us, but also worshiping God, you see kind of spattered through the whole section there, worshiping God for who he is. Anybody ever get a, a really good compliment from somebody else? It's kind of nice when someone recognizes you for who you are, not just what you've done, right? It's cool when somebody says, hey, thanks for doing that for me. That was really kind of you. But when somebody actually takes time to recognize aspects of your character, that feels really good. I remember a couple years back, Bill, maybe you remember this as well. We were at an elders retreat at John uh, Spock's cabin, and we took time to go around the circle of elders, and we just took a few minutes and said, let's take a few minutes and just talk about some things we appreciate about each one of them. Man, I'll tell you what, it was one of the more meaningful things I've done since we've been on staff. Just going around, having the, the men just share, take turns. John, do you remember this? Taking time, just celebrating some of the things that we see of God's hand and imprint and influence on that person's life. It was really meaningful. I'd suggest maybe that's something you could even try with your own family. We do that sometimes with our kids around the, the dinner table. We'll take turns. One day it'll be Chase's turn, and we all say something good about him or something we appreciate about him. It's just a healthy thing to celebrate what we see God doing in somebody's life. But what, the reason I bring that up is because that's a healthy second side to worshiping God, not just focusing on what he's done, also just focusing on literally who he is, slowing down and saying, man, God, I thank you. I thank you. Look at some of the ones she mentions. I thank you for being Savior. 
the one that rescues us when we can't fix ourselves. I thank you for being mighty. As a teenage girl, that's what she's desperately in need for. I thank you, God, that that is who you are, not just what you do. You are mighty. She goes down. You can, you can pull them out of the text yourself, calls them, refers to them as holy, set apart, perfect in all of his ways, merciful. It was only in his mercy that he literally sent the Savior to rescue us from our sins. And and if mighty doesn't cover it, she also mentions him being strong. She goes through all of these different characteristics of God's greatness. And I would suggest that that's a healthy exercise for us. When you're feeling like, I'm not very worshipful about my circumstances, maybe you need to shift the conversation less about you and a little bit more about who he is some of his consistent qualities. All of these things are wonderful lessons that this little teenage girl teaches us about worship. So again, I ask you the question, as we're going into this Christmas season, how would you describe your worship meter? Say you're about a three, about a four, about a two, about a six. Maybe some of you are, man, I'm fully in. But my hope and my prayer is that we can glean from this teenage girl some lessons about growing in our worship. It starts from within. And you know what? Sometimes that's something that takes some pre-work I've recognized. Sometimes that's, God, I need you to grow my heart of worship. Anybody maybe need that prayer right now in your life? God, I need this. I need your Holy Spirit to stir that up because I don't have it naturally. How about the reflecting on things he's done for you. Maybe looking across the last 12 months, that's a healthy exercise. Looking back at some of the ways that he's been faithful, that should move you to worship. Or maybe looking at his faithfulness in people that you care about in their life, expanding it outside of just you. These are all things that I would suggest move us to worship. Well, this morning, we you might notice that we scheduled a little bit shorter worship time at the beginning so that we could have a little bit more time to practice what we preach, right? Because remember at the beginning, I said, my hope is going into this Christmas season, you, God would expand our hearts for worship. So instead of one song at the end, we're doing two. Are you guys ready for that? We're getting nutty here at ABF. Let me pray for us as Chad comes up with the worship team. God, thank you so much for this chance to be in your word and looking at Mary Man, so many questions, so much confusion. I can't imagine all that would be going on in her mind and that hike to Elizabeth's house. I thank you, God, that she modeled moving from anxiety to worship. I pray that you'd stretch us in that area ourselves, that all the chaos and craziness and the list of 500 things that need to get done would not, that we'd not get lost in that and miss all that's to be worshipped and celebrated this season. Pray that you'd stretch us in this, that we'd put some intentionality into it, that it wouldn't be just something we stumble into worship, that we intentionally approach your throne room with a bended knee. We need your spirit. We need your help in that. We invite you now into this remaining time of worship. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. My hope is this week that we would continue in just a heart of worship going into our weeks ahead. Maybe 
even in your car, they can become mobile Christmas concerts. Are you guys game for that this week? All right, just as you're leaving today, just a reminder, the first of each month, we always have an opportunity to give towards our benevolent fund if you want to give towards that as you leave today. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. God bless you.